Hey, what is up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Beyond the Swing. In this episode, we got my guy Patrick Flavin. Patrick is a professional golfer, and he's on kind of a unique path of Monday qualifying into PGA Tour events um, and just doing some fascinating things, but he is elevating his game big time, and we are going to talk to him about his journey, his journey through junior golf, his you know, rise up to this professional level, and you know what he's doing to make all these gains now. There's actionable stuff for everybody in this episode, so I'm excited to share. Uh, Patrick and I resided in the same area in the north suburbs of Chicago for a good long time, so I've known the name for a while. It was the first time we really got to sit down and actually talk, and uh, it's a great episode, so I'm looking forward to sharing. Hey, what's up? I'm your host, Kyle Drink, and we're going Beyond the Swing. You getting ready for the car ferry event? I am, yes. Yeah, so I, I Monday qualified in here last year. And uh, last year it was like completely underwater, this place, <laughs> but uh, it's in way better shape. It's a great course. And I'm actually staying with a couple of members at a desert forest out in Arizona. Great. Gotcha. Well, let's, let's just jump into that, man. You're like a Monday qualifying freaking genius at this point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's been crazy. I mean, like definitely not the path that I thought I was going to be taking. Um, it kind of just worked out that way. After second stage of Q school, I didn't get through. And that uh, that next week was the Monday qualifier for the Bermuda Championship. And my dad was like out on a road trip in Utah. And he's like, hey, man, if you get through, I'll meet you out in Bermuda. I'll caddy for you. And uh, I was really devastated not getting through second stage. And I almost didn't play, but I ended up playing and played great. And I got in. And my dad, sure enough, met me out there. And we had an awesome week. And uh, what'd you finish? I was in. I finished 17th. I was in contention. I had the lead on Saturday. Oh, wow. And then uh, that final round Sunday was super gnarly, just terrible weather. And I was, I mean, I, I never really asked my dad much about, uh, like, while he's caddy. It's mostly just, like, fun for us to be out there together. But the weather was terrible, and it was raining, and you're obviously nervous. So, like, every shot, I'm like, what do you think, seven, eight? <laughs> and it, so he really stepped up, and uh, it was great. And uh, it was a good week. It got me. 50 FedEx Cup points, and that's kind of launched the, the the goal of Monday qualifying on tour kind of the rest of the year. So, the, I mean, it's a very unorthodox path you're taking. Um, and I'm, I'm curious because I don't even know the entire ins and outs. So, first of all, how many times have you Mondayed into PJ events now? Uh, four. Three this year. And, uh, and then I got a sponsor's invite in Dominican and a sponsor's invite last week at Byron Nelson. Okay. And most of these tournaments you finished pretty well in yeah yeah bermuda was 17th puerto rico was 22nd and then uh dominican i finished 54th so uh so yeah it's been good i've earned like 75 fedex cup points which is kind of um you need to get in the top 200 basically gets you to the corn Ferry finals where the 126 or 200 on the pga tour play against the 26 through 75 on the corn Ferry or um, 25 more PGA Tour cards. So basically, I'm trying to breach that threshold, which is around 100 FedEx Cup points. So I'm close. Yeah, dude, that's awesome. Now, this is the wild thing, right? So you, there's, even though you're doing well in these PGA events, like you can't earn PGA status, can you? You can if you get in the top 150 on the FedEx Cup list. Oh, so okay. basically, yeah, it's like Will Zalatoris 
Will's Altors last year, he was earning all the unofficial uh, FedEx Cup points. So he had done well enough to earn his full card for the neck, but wasn't eligible for this year's playoffs. So I'm kind of in the same boat. Um, obviously, he did really, really well, finishing second at the Masters. I haven't done anything like that, but uh, I have earned some un unofficial points. And if I earn a few more, then I could get my full PJ Tour card. But uh, um, with just a few more opportunities, like getting in that top 200 is really kind of um, that's the first threshold to to get over. And then after that, um, I mean, I believe in myself. I, I know I can go out there and contend to win. So my goal is to earn my full full tour card, whether it's through this year playing or the Cord Ferry finals. That's kind of that's kind of the goal for me. Well, and I think, you know, in terms of validation, you know, to go out there Monday and finish where you did, it's got to help. No. For sure. I mean, everybody always says like that you can compete at that level. And uh, I, I definitely believed in myself. I think I've always been a bit of a late bloomer. So I always kind of had to pick myself up and, and I was always small and I always kind of had that like feisty mentality. So um, I, I've kind of always believed in myself, but uh, once you actually go and play at the highest level and put yourself in contention and, and you feel comfortable competing out there, it, it definitely changes your perspective. Um, it definitely helps improve your, the confidence in your self-efficacy, um, which I believe strongly in. So, um, yeah, it's, it's a huge change in, in the way you view yourself. And like playing this week on the corn ferry, um, I, I believe that I could win. I know that I can go out there and contend. And this time last year, uh, Monday qualified into this event and I definitely wouldn't have had the same, um, goals i think my goals were more kind of finishing top 25 getting into the next week versus my goal now is to contend and, and win yeah all right so let's let's kind of go back to the beginning of your journey then so i mean you and i are i mean i'm not from chicago but i was there for a long time you know you and i are from the same parts even though we never really crossed paths that much but you know so you know, on your junior golf days like how did you get started i mean what what's kind of fueled this path yeah, I grew up playing baseball and soccer, and those were kind of sports, and I was always super competitive. I have two brothers. Three of us were just kind of competing in everything we did, so uh, competition was always a huge part of my life, and I didn't start golf until I was 12. Me and my older brother and my dad would go out to the course and play, um, but I kind of, I really fell in love with it. I'd say um, my sophomore year of high school, I was in the spring, I was going to baseball practice after school. So I was going to practice golf before school. And that's kind of when I knew that golf was really like my passion and, and something I wanted to pursue. So, uh, that, that time, sophomore, junior year, high school is really when I got a ton better. I mean, my freshman year, I was on the freshman, sophomore team, uh, shooting like in the nineties. So it was definitely a, a, a late, a late improvement relative to a lot of people who I'm competing against now. Um, but yeah, I ended up getting an offer to play at Miami uh, University in Ohio, which was like my dream school. It's where my older brother went. And um, I loved it. I had an awesome experience there. Um, I ended up doing really well and I broke some of the school records and, and won a, quite a bit in college. And that's kind of when I, I, I kind of guess I, I felt like I could play professional golf. Like I always, I wanted to play golf because I love it so much, but uh it's always a big mystery whether you can really compete at that level. Um, 
And that took me to playing the Latin America tour in 2019, the corn Ferry tour, the last couple of years and all these Monday qualifiers and on the PGA tour this year. So that's kind of how I got to where I am. Yeah. So let's, I'm going to give you like the broadest question ever. Like what did you actually do to improve so fast? I'd say, um, like what did your training look like? I guess. Yeah. So I, when I really started to get a ton better, I started working with Lewis Sauer up in Northbrook and he kind of, I had a ton of passion for the game and I was a cocky little kid and I had a lot of confidence (laughs) despite being really bad. So he kind of honed in on that uh, competitiveness and, and we started doing like all these competitive drills against guys like Nick Hardy and Brian or Mikey Abrahamson. Uh, We had these like winter training sessions and, that kind of, we just kind of went around and tried to beat each other at pretty much everything, whether it was chipping, putting, hitting on the simulator, hitting into nets. Um, and, uh, it wasn't anything really in particular. I just had like a, I was super competitive and I loved the game of golf. So I just spent a ton of time doing it and just kind of having fun competing against my friends. Um, also about a similar time, I got a junior membership at the merit club. Uh, so Don Peeper, got us set up and we were basically full members. Um, so all summer, I mean, we're all we were doing was playing 36 a day at merit. So, um, it wasn't all that organized. I'd say, I'd say now my practice is a little bit more specific, but, uh, just a ton of time spent at the course competing against my friends. Uh, is, and also I was really, really small. So as I got a little bit bigger, I started hitting it farther and, and getting way better. So, um, first of all, that, that membership deal at merit is insane. I don't know if it's gotten any different, but you know, when I first heard about like you and some of the guys that were doing that, I was like, dude, that's crazy. I mean, that's like the coolest thing ever. It was super cheap. The golf course is amazing. The practice facilities are out of this world, man. Like I would just die to be able to coach at a facility like that. It's crazy. It is crazy. Like the Getz family owns it. And Mr. Peeper is kind of the guy who started it. So um, without those people, it wouldn't really be possible. I definitely wouldn't be where I am without Merit Club. Um, yeah, I mean, we've got three practice holes, like top and the bottom of the range, a bunch of chipping and putting greens. Um, and on top of that, the membership was just really open to this idea and kind of helped push us. They were super supportive um, throughout playing high school golf, college golf, and now professional golf. So, yeah, that place is just, it's, it's changed my life and changed the trajectory of where I am. Um, and a huge key to it was a, a big group of us. I mean, competing against your best friends every day was just like the most fun um, we could have possibly had. And on top of that, we got way better. Yeah. Now you've said a few times that you were small, like let's put some numbers behind that. Like how tall were you? Actually? Oh man. <laughs> I, I honestly don't even really know. I was tiny, like probably five, two-ish like 100 pounds maybe like my freshman year of high school really? that might be a little generous honestly but uh, yeah I, but I was always super feisty and uh, very gritty and I talked mm. a lot of trash despite uh, <laughs> despite being so little and I mean just growing up playing baseball and soccer uh, like the t- team aspect uh, kind of I, I just loved um, to compete um and I think that's paid a lot of dividends in, in professional golf now because when you are under the gun, which is a lot, I feel like I can step up to that pressure. I'm just kind of used to it. I have grown up around that. Um, so, yeah, I think playing those 
those other sports um, definitely helped me um, develop the, the competitive juices that I have today, I'd say. Yeah, I think that's a big one. I mean, people talk about it a lot, but, you know, I was a five-sport athlete. Um, I just think it's it's extremely important not to specialize. And it's it's nice to hear somebody else. I mean, I didn't start till I was about 12. I mean, truthfully, I started when I was probably eight, but I was such a baby on the golf course. My my dad shut it down until I was a little bit older, more mature. But um, <laughs> yeah, so I mean, it's it's I think that's good to know that, especially for parents with juniors, you don't need to like grind at six years old, you know, or seven years old or eight years old. You know, you don't need to go crazy at that age because it really doesn't matter. Like I said, I mean, you could be tiny then pop whenever you know how, when did you really start to grow like how tall are you now i'm five eight now um i'd say kind of like senior high school and freshman year of college that's kind of when i started to grow and that's when we started to lift a lot in college my freshman year and i went from i think i came in at like 130 and now i'm like 155 ish mm -hmm. so i definitely definitely a big transformation in my body which um helped me hit the ball farther it used to be like a I used to always hit it way shorter than everybody and now I I don't and it's almost becoming a strength of mine hitting it pretty far and straight so <clears throat> I think obviously everybody's different and like you said um, there's just more to more to golf and and more to life in general and developing as a person than just training in golf I think uh, playing a bunch of different sports um, it was the the most fun thing I, I did. Like I look back on those baseball days and I miss them having teammates like professional golf. You have no teammates. So it's really nice that I have a really good crew of friends from merit club that I view as my teammates in this professional golf journey. But uh, there's nothing better than like baseball and, and soccer. And I always wanted to be a professional baseball player. And then I turned out to be super small. So <laughs> golf was the golf was a great option. Yeah. So when you, when you actually started your body transformed, did that mess you up at all? Like, did you see any dip in your performance or your kind of your game from that? Cause I know sometimes, I mean, Jordan's a great example, but Jordan's yeah. rare, you know, he, I mean, he went from right. like five, eight to like six, four in a winter. I mean, that, I was that poor say. kid, yeah, that poor kid went through some troubles, <laughs> but yeah, I was going to say a, Jordan. Yeah. Jordan being so far from the ball, like he did grow a foot. So, I mean, <laughs> uh, mine was a lot more gradual than that so not really um yeah. I think definitely like freshman year of college when we were lifting all the time uh obviously I hadn't been doing any of that so you show up to the course super sore I think that was a a big change so there was definitely some stuff in that regard but to me it was always just it was honestly just uh it was always good because every time I got bigger I was hitting it farther and when I was hitting it farther it meant I could kind of compete against more people on longer courses. So yeah, I was kind of licking my chops as I was getting a little bit, a little bit bigger for sure. Yeah. Um, so, you know, as you're going through your high school career, um, did you have any really like staple wins that just, you were like, okay, I know this is, this is go time. I'd say <clears throat> Nick Hardy was always the guy that I felt like I was chasing. Mm -hmm. And uh, a couple of times, junior and senior year of high school I, I beat him in some of those like Saturday invitationals and won 
the tournaments and and he's a great sport like i used to always talk so much trash to nick and he's like the nicest dude he would never say anything to me he just like supported me despite all the trash talk and he's still like that to this day so i think when i started beating nick a little bit and then uh, kind of content these guys who were playing college golf i i started to realize that maybe i could play college golf so I, but i mean it was at what level i had no idea i was sending out letters to a bunch of d3 schools uh, and then progressively kind of a couple division one schools, smaller ones. And then kind of by the end of high school, I was talking to a bunch of big 10 teams. Uh, and I ended up going to where I wanted to be. It was like Miami was like my dream school and coach Zedrick was my favorite coach. So uh, it worked out perfectly, but uh, yeah, that whole process was a big, a big mystery. I'd say uh, my junior high school, I made it to the state tournament and finished in yeah, I can't remember where I finished, but that's kind of when I knew I could, I, I could, I was getting pretty good. Yeah. Well, let's, let's go through that process. Cause I know that's a, that's a hard one for a lot of, you know, juniors, parents, they're always wondering, when do I start the process? You know, what do I do? Who do I reach out to? So, you know, what, what did you do? When did you start? Um, you said you started with like D3 schools, but you know, take me through that process a little bit. Yeah, I'd say the, <clears throat> the the first thing was just kind of like setting down like writing down a bunch of schools where you really wanted to go and then also figuring out if you wanted to to play golf there uh yeah so to me it was just a bunch of midwest schools uh, i kind of looked up their golf programs and then just sent the the head coach an email kind of outlining what i had done and most importantly the tournament schedule upcoming i think um, playing those ijgas majgts trying to get in the ajgas and then a big thing that college coaches look at is playing in like your state am um, and trying to qualify for the USAM. So uh, I'd say highlighting the tournaments I was planning on playing was really a, a way that I kind of set myself apart because I always tried to play against the best competition possible. Um, but yeah, it is kind of a big mystery, but I think the, the biggest part is sending an email, getting on the coach's radar and, and really connecting yourself to that school. Um, so for example, with Miami, for me, um, I harped on coach Zedrick about how much I loved Miami and how much I wanted to be there. And then you really have to sell yourself too. you have to tell them. So for me, it was about telling about how I improved a ton in my game and how I could see myself becoming a great player and here are the tournaments I'm going to play. Um, but yeah, that process is also kind of similar to the professional golf process. There's there's not a lot of information out there about what tournaments are the right ones to be playing. And, um, but, but I think if you can kind of get in touch with the coach and, and, and tell them your story, I think that's kind of a good place to start. This show is brought to you by mental golf type. And if you haven't heard of mental golf type yet, then you need to go to mentalgolftype.com and check this out because this is an incredible, powerful mental game of performance system that you can implement very easily because it is tailored to how you and how you are mentally wired. So some of the questions you might have had along the way of why can I perform great on practice? Why do I hit it great on the range and I go on the course and it's something totally different? Why am I inconsistent? Why can I score so well one day and the next is something totally different? Well, all those questions have to do with how you are mentally wired, how you are using your mental energy, how you're seeing targets, how you're making decisions. This is all stuff that 
has to do with your mental golf type and you could take your free assessment and figure out a lot of things really quick for absolutely free at mentalgolftype.com. So you definitely want to get over there and check that out because I can't even imagine trying to coach players without knowing that information. Uh, So again, check out mentalgolftype.com. You won't regret it. Now let's get to that show. Well, that's well said. I mean, that's something I've always tried to guide people on. I think the keys are number one is the kids got to do it. You know, if it's coming from the parents or, you know, a recruiting service, I mean, I think some recruiting services are fine, but it's got to come from the kid. And you, like you said, you got to show that you want to be there, you know? So, you know, when I was going through that process, when I was younger, I mean, this was before really the internet era. So I had to be a little more creative, but I mean, I pastored schools. um, Yeah. the, The ones I wanted to go to until they gave me a look and a couple of them were way beyond where I was at at that point. But I mean, I still got enough attention because I just bothered them enough because I was like, Hey, I really want to go here. Take a look at me. Same scenario. But yeah, I think that, I think that stuff's really important. You know, what year were you doing that? Cause I think that's another big one. It's like, you know, I got sometimes like eighth graders are like, man, do I need to be doing college stuff? I'm like, oh, I don't think so. <laughs> like not yet. Yeah. I think it was mostly my junior year of high school that I did most of that kind of in the junior year fall was really when I ramped it up. Uh, and I ended up committing to college like the summer before senior year. So um, sophomore, junior year, I mean, the earlier, the better. I was definitely a little bit later to the game. But um, but I think if you can kind of, if you're in a good, if you're kind of doing those communications junior year, that's a great time to be doing it. And I've actually seen a lot of parallels in the college golf recruiting process to trying to get sponsor exemptions on the PGA Tour. And, Corn Ferry Tour. Mm-hmm. Um, it's telling your story and and then connecting yourself to the tournament and also explaining how it could change your life. And in, in college golf, it, where you go to play college golf does change your life. And playing at Miami for me changed my life. So, um, yeah, like the, the teammates I made there and then um, actually some of my sponsors um, for professional golf are alums from Miami. So I think, uh, I mean, I can't sell Miami enough. Miami changed my life completely. But uh, yeah, I'd say. For, for the kids that's playing playing as many tournaments as you can this summer against the best possible competition. And then um, just trying to communicate. You don't want to overstress. If you go out and focus on golf and get a bunch better, you'll land in a, in a good home. Yeah. Well, and I want to ask you too about some of the, like how many schools you have, but just a quick note on what you just said, I think it's important is you, before like kind of I say the end of my junior era and like beginning of when I started to coach like people really needed to chase the AJGA I don't think they do anymore you know I think there's enough stuff locally I mean I think it's good to get out of your comfort zone and start playing against different players but I don't think you really have to chase like the AJGA or like national tournaments at this point do you I would agree I I definitely didn't play in too many AJGAs towards the end of high school, junior, senior year, I played in and more for sure. Um, but yeah, there's so many tournaments around, like, especially in Illinois, the Illinois junior golf association, the MAJGT, um, the CDGA, there's so many different, uh, events and you can play against guys who are older guys who are already in college, or you can play against a bunch of local guys. But if you go and play well on those, that's preparing you to play at the next level. So, um, yeah, definitely you don't need to be doing national travel. Um, that being said, I think, like you said, going to play different places kind of will, it's a, it's a big challenge of college golf is traveling all over the country and playing these mm-hmm. different tournaments. But 
um, it'd be better to go out and play a bunch of local tournaments than to, to do nothing. So I think those local tournaments, especially we're very, very fortunate in Illinois to have the IJGA. Um, it's run great and they've got a ton of tournaments. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's weird because now that I'm out in Tennessee, I thought it would have been bigger and better, but it's not. I mean, it just goes to show even a cold weather state, how well they did. I mean, it was a short period. I mean, you have three, four months of, you know, packed tournament schedule, you know, and then we're freezing, <laughs> but right. It's true. Yeah. But I mean, it's like in Tennessee, I'm surprised like there's not that much, at least in this Chattanooga area, but um, yeah, man. So it's like you said, I think it's good to travel and, and to, you know, experience that lifestyle if you're going to do that, but you know, to think you have to do that all the time. I don't, I don't think it's a real thing, but you know, going back to, you know, your schools now, so you picked Miami, Ohio, but how many different schools did you have the ability to go to at that point? Or was Miami the only one? Miami was the first division one offer that I got. Um, okay. I started talking quite a bit with Michigan state and Iowa towards the end. Um, Illinois Wesleyan D three school um, was another one that I, I love. Um, and then just, a couple more like um, there were a couple more s- slightly smaller schools, but I'd say, I mean, throughout the whole process, Miami was my favorite. So I, as soon as I got that offer, I committed like later that day. <laughs> so right. I didn't, uh, I, I kind of, I mean, towards the end, once I, once I got the offer for Miami, that process was kind of done. There were definitely a few, a few big 10 schools that I could have gone to, but I mean, we played, a big 10 schedule basically. And it was going to the school that was really where I wanted to be. Um, so yeah, I think uh, that all worked out for the best, I would say. Okay. So now, so now you're getting into college, you know, what was the transition like in those, you know, the first few years, like, how did you do, how was the, I guess, I guess use the word transition again, but you know, what was that like kind of jump, making that jump? Well, like I said, I was kind of like, uh, small and cocky dude <laughs> and so actually my buddy Scott Cahill was a senior at Miami and he's caddying for me now uh, he caddied for me at the Byron Nelson last week and this is our second week and uh, Scott didn't like me very much when my I came in freshman year I actually I won our qualifying um, but I was not hitting the ball very far and we went and played Wolf Run in Indianapolis and there was one hole out there that was like a two Number eight, um, it's like a 275 carry. So Scott went into coach's office. He's like, we can't take Patrick. Like, he can't carry this creek. Uh, He's going to make a 14 on this hole, and we shouldn't take him. (laughs) But I think it was also partially because Scott didn't like my attitude at the time. (laughs) But, uh, yeah, so, I mean, I I had no idea where I was going to stand relative to these college golfers. I ended up my first tournament doing pretty well. I finished, like, 13th, and I think that – um, changed my perspective. It, it kind of showed me that I could compete at the college level. And my freshman year, I, did, I played solid. I had a bunch of, of top 10 finishes. And then sophomore year, I won three times. And that was when I really kind of felt like I made a big leap in, uh, in how I viewed myself and uh, how, I mean, just how I could do at that, that level. That's cool. So at what point did you, and maybe you even knew this going into college, but at what point were you like, I'm going to take the leap and try to play professionally after school? I had always kind of said that I wanted to play professional golf. Um, The summer before 
senior year, I won uh, the state am and the state open in Illinois. And that was kind of, that's kind of when I really started to take it really seriously. And, um, and that's when I really felt like I could do it. Um, but it's still kind of a big blur. I mean, you're in school all, all year taking classes and, and then going to tournaments and it's pretty much nonstop. And then the summer you've got the Western Nam and all those big ones. So it just kind of went by so fast and towards the end of college, it was like, Oh crap, I guess I am going to go do this. And, uh, <clears throat> I ended up doing corn Ferry Q school right out of college and didn't get through, but, uh, but then I got status on the Latin American tour. I went down to Brazil <clears throat> and we played the Olympic course in Rio and I got full status down there. And, and then I was kind of off and running. So there wasn't, I'd say any, any point that I, uh, that I just like decided I was going to do it. I kind of always saw myself doing it because the guys I was around at merit, um, were all wanting to turn pro. So, um, mm-hmm. it just kind of happened and it worked out and I played that Latin America tour out of college and, and that kind of got the ball rolling. So I want to, I, I, I want to hear your story of this, but I've, I've always heard, I don't know if it's rumors, but that you got really sick in Latin America. Yeah. I've had a couple of, uh, interesting experiences i'd say and well, Latin America. Yeah, well, <laughs> well we were just talking about this the other day um i was down in cordoba argentina and actually my older brother and his wife it was his fiance at the time they came down to, to cordoba argentina which is crazy just to watch a tournament but it's where i'm anyway uh, i'm on the 10th hole it's a short part three and uh, this power line falls onto a tree it's like a bomb went off like the trees and everybody runs this tree on the right side. And I mean, I don't know, not sure how it happened, but all of a sudden there were like 30, but they couldn't stop as this tree is being cut off the great wild. But um, yeah, I, I got sick actually that week in Cordoba. I got MRSA, um, which is like a staph infection on my eye. The next week we went to Dominican Republic, which I spent most of the time like in the hospital trying to figure out what was going on. Um, so I ended up going back home and I got, I kind of got that taken care of. Um, and I went down to Cancun the next week and I, I won down there. So most recently I, I was down in Chile in December and I got salmonella down there and I was one of a few. So uh, I think that Latin America travel is definitely a, a big challenge. Um, that being said, it was also um, the the best experience I'd, I'd say I've had in my life. Um, I got to know some of the guys from Mexico really well, and they become became some of my best friends. And they introduced me to some of the guys from Argentina, and then some of the guys from Brazil. and And those guys are just so friendly. They're so welcoming, and they they do so much for guys um, who are not from those parts of the world um, to make us feel comfortable and to have us appreciate um, South America. So uh, on top of that, I got way better because it's really really hard to travel from argentina to chile to dominican and all week in and week out so um, that's definitely where i I made the biggest improvements i'd say and how to be a professional golfer it's pretty crazy because i don't know how many people would be willing number one to to travel there i mean a lot of players that i talk to um you know that are corn ferry or trying to get on corn ferry when latin america's brought up they're like eh (laughs) you know, they just, um, 
but two, then you go there and you had, and that broke up just a little bit, but you had a tree fall. Is that what you said? Yeah. yeah. And then you, and then you get stick. I mean, yeah. <laughs> all, all sorts of crazy stuff. But I did grow up um, in a dual language program where uh, we did half our classes in Spanish and half in English. So I'm fluent in Spanish, which makes a huge difference playing that tour. I'm a lot more comfortable speaking with the caddies, talking with taxi drivers. So that kind of turned out to me at the time, it didn't seem very valuable, but then playing the Latin America tour, it was huge. And I think it was a big, I attribute a lot of success to uh, being able to speak the language and being more comfortable playing in those places. Um, but yeah, I think, I think I, I can't speak highly enough of the Latin tour. They do an amazing job organizing those events in really, really beautiful parts of the world. Um, so yeah, when I hear people say, ah, I don't know about the Latin tour, I always, I always shake my head because I got so much better playing there. I also did well there and that got me my status on the Corn Ferry. So um, I think it was just an, an awesome ex life experience, but also um, put me on the path to making the PJ tour. So uh, I, I would highly recommend people taking it, giving it um, full consideration. So you, you earned status from the Latin tour? Is that what you just said? I did. Yeah, I finished sixth on the money list in the top 10, go to the final stage of Q school for the Corn Ferry. Sure. So if you finish top five, you get guaranteed starts. And I was like $900 short of that, which was, which was uh, tough. But uh, yeah, it, it got me my status in 2020, 2021 uh, on the Corn Ferry. Um, I mean, like I'm losing track of years now. So is that, that was post like main COVID or when was that? I was right during COVID. Yeah. yeah so yeah, yeah. that was, uh, I had conditional status on the corn ferry kind of throughout that whole COVID process. And, uh, Jordan Hahn, he was in the same boat. So mm -hmm. him and I were just about to start expecting to get into events and then COVID hit and shut everything down. And then kind of when they got rolling again, everybody played and everything. So that meant kind of playing a ton of Monday qualifiers throughout that entire, uh, couple of years and actually it was this event in uh, kansas city was the first time i mondayed in on the corn ferry um i was down in dallas actually and nick hardy was like hype harping on me to sign up for this monday qualifier i was like no i don't want to do it <laughs> i'm sick of the mondays and he ended up driving from phoenix to dallas picking me up driving with me to kansas city he played the practice round with me on Sunday and then the Monday, I Monday qualified in. And uh, then I got a sponsor's invite the next week in Chicago. I, I finished fifth in Chicago and I reshuffled and got to play like the last, I think it was 10 events of the, of the season. So, I mean, that was just kind of like a, a crazy story and a testament to, to good friends that kind of, while you, when you get down, um, they kind of can pick you up and push you to do stuff. Um, and that, that changed kind of the trajectory of, of my season and gave me a lot of confidence to know that I could compete at, uh, at this level. I mean, it's, it's crazy out there how like one good week and you can, you just keep playing, you know, I mean, and it's, it's a hard thing because when you have, and this is what, you know, I was talking about Jordan who's now finally getting a full schedule in Canada, but it's like, you know, when do, when you play one event and you have to play well to keep playing, like that's a lot more pressure than you have, full status and if you miss a cut it's like whatever i got next week i mean that's that's a different thing don't you think way different and on top of that the planning 
is way harder. I mean, you sign up for the one day qualifier. You don't know if you make it, you stay. If you do well, you're into the next week. If you miss a cut, you fly to the next Monday. It's just constant. You don't know where you're going to be. So um, that was definitely a huge learning curve. And on top of that, playing with the pressure, like if I play well, I can play the rest of these tournaments. And I found myself um, kind of waking up every day at the beginning of the of the conditional status on the corn ferry and just thinking, man, if I shot like 64 today, that'd be so big. And um, I realized that that was very, very detrimental because you'd go out there and you'd make a couple pars and you're like, oh crap, I'm not going to, today's mm -hmm. not the day. So I think uh, a big change was when I just kind of woke up every day and started to just trust that what I was going to do was going to be good enough to, to contend. Um, and uh, it's definitely a big curve to get over. Um, when you do have conditional status to start earning um, full starts. Um, so yeah, like you said, Jordan, having full status up in Canada or a full schedule is a huge deal because you can plan um, where you're going to be. And, and me at this point, like, I don't know where I'm going to be next week, whether I hopefully get a spot on the PGA tour event, if I top 25, get into the next corn ferry event, or if I'm going to play the Canadian tour in two weeks, it's just like, it weighs on you a little bit, not knowing where you're going to be. Yeah. And you, can you go to Canada with where, with, with your status is right now? I played, yeah, I played three events last year, um, at the, after corn Ferry was over and I did well. And so I kept my full card up there. So I've, I've got that as an option. Uh, I've played the Latin America tour. I played a few of those events this year and then a lot of these PGA tour Monday. So the other thing is there's no, like, there's no guidelines as to like, what is the right way to go about getting your PGA mm -hmm. tour status. So like, obviously I'm on this kind of weird journey playing all these Mondays that not a lot of people are doing. So there's not too many, uh, not, I have no idea where I should be, or, you know, you just have to kind of make the decision and, and go with it. So let's talk about like kind of mindset going into these events. So first, I guess, question for you is, is do you go into an event any different than you go into a Monday? Um, I try, try not to, I think I've, I think I've done a really good job with these Mondays kind of showing up and I know that I can give myself a chance every time. Uh, I don't feel like I need to do anything special. I think a big misconception about the Mondays is that you need to be perfect. Um, so I kind of try to view it as if I give myself an opportunity down the stretch to make it through, I, I consider it a win. Um, I wouldn't say I have no expectations because every single one of these Mondays, like it could change your life if you get through. Um, but I, I think I play maybe slightly more aggressive in those Mondays. Um, but in these events, it's kind of a similar, it's a similar kind of mindset because you could change your life if, if you go win. Um, yeah. I think, like I said, I like, I like to focus mostly on just trusting that whatever I do out there is going to be good enough to get it done. Uh, there's so many points thresholds and different tournaments uh that and like those are all extrinsic factors that would they they don't really help me so i try to just focus on like the mastery of the game trying to get as good as i possibly can um and and take advantage of every day rather than focusing too much on the results gotcha so you know I, and again i don't know how much you know about me but you know i have a with my partner john the platform called mental golf type. I mean, I'm huge on the mental side of the game. Uh, and it's, it's specifically like your unique, I guess, qualities and how you think, um, like how much do you take stock in that kind of stuff? I mean, do you have, 
certain ways you like to focus over the ball? Is there any kind of mindset things you do or do you just go play? I definitely do a lot of mindset stuff. I do like a lot of meditation away from the course um, and like breath work. And uh, I, I'm a big believer in that you need to practice that away from the course, kind of like you practice your golf away from the course. And once you get out there, you can kind of draw on those, on those relaxing moments. You can kind of bring yourself back um, to those points. So I do a lot of that. I do a lot of visualization. And then I, I have this one chapter in this book called Fearless Golf. Um, it's about mastery versus ego golf. And basically it's talking about how Jack Nicholas, um, he didn't go out to try to win. He just went out and he knew that if he played his game, he would win. So it's just, it's about taking every shot as an opportunity. You're not so worried about um, where you are in relation to other people. You're focused entirely on where you are um, on the golf course and trying to beat the course. So, uh, I do a lot of that, and I think it's really, really important to stay focused on the mental aspect. And and for me, um, I think grit and competitiveness are the things that have kind of allowed me to be successful. So as long as I can keep those the, the focus, um, I, I believe in myself. Yeah, and I mean, it's definitely easier said than done because I think just in life and the social media era especially – of comparing ourselves to others is a real challenge. You know what I mean? So without a doubt, when you're talking about, you know, that, that time when you were down and Hardy had to come pick you up. I mean, it's easy to flip on because all we see on social media is people's happy moments. We don't see their down moments. Yeah. So you're seeing somebody maybe win an event, you're seeing somebody qualify, you know, or somebody seeing you all of a sudden having all this success. It's easy to be like, ah, dang it. Like, why is that not me? A hundred percent. Uh, and golf switches so much. I mean, every week you're seeing somebody win and you're not that guy and you're comparing yourself to, to them and all the things that come with winning. Um, but I think just if you can be gracious while you're losing and, and support people um, and, and be nice to them while they're doing well, it kind of can, it turns quicker than the, the other way, you know? Um, but like you said, if you, I think if you focus on what other people are doing, it, it will just distract you from, from being the best version of yourself. And um, yeah, like Jordan Hahn and Nick Hardy, Brian, Orr, those guys have been um, awesome for me. They've, they've pushed me when I'm not doing as well. And, and we celebrate each other's wins. And I think that kind of keeps us all going because there really aren't that many wins uh, in professional golf. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, even on the, and that's awesome to have that, you know, group of friends for sure. Um, you know, and even on the, the tactical side of the game, it's easy to watch somebody be successful and think you need to start doing stuff different. I mean, we see that all the oh, time yeah. players fade and it's so easy to do. Like I said, especially with the access to videos and information, you see somebody with maybe a new way of swinging the club. It's like, Whoa, maybe I should be doing that. And it's just like so easy to get off of what you've done to be successful, especially if you're struggling a little bit. So to stay on what you're doing and, um, I don't want to speak for you, but I'm assuming you still work with Lewis. Yeah, I do. Yeah. yeah. I've worked with Lewis for like 10 years. Yeah. Yeah. Like last week at the Byron Nelson, I'm walking down the range, watching the best golfers in the world with their swing coach there with their track man. Um, and the, the, these caddies, like we've all seen Scotty Scheffler switch caddies, uh, to Ted Scott and he won four out of six in a row. And I think it can lead you to start thinking like we need and on top of that they've got like the 
the tour trailers, like with all the clubs. And um, it's a huge hurdle to get over to just trust that what you have and what you're doing is good enough to compete at that level. Um, because you see the best players in the world, they're not looking over their shoulder at what the other guys are doing on the range. Mm -hmm. uh, so I think that's a, that was a big learning curve, I'd say, with getting some more starts on the PGA Tour. And that's why I think you see a lot of guys come off the Corn Ferry. And for a little while, it takes a minute because there are there's so much so much going on. And it, oh, like you said, it always seems like the person next to you has that new thing, um, the new magical thing that's taken them to the next level when it's really just sticking to what makes you who you are, um, sticking to your um, strengths. And then it's, it's a long season. So um, you don't need to be perfect. You just need to continue to develop and then take advantage when things are going your way. Yeah, it's well said, man. Um, but understanding those ups and downs is huge. And I've just seen so many players. I mean, we see it at the highest level because it's documented, but it's, it's all over the place and it's rampant in amateur golf. You know, I mean, people, I mean, it's probably the worst it there, is. right? That people read a tip, they'll jump, oh, yeah. they'll jump to a new swing guy. Like, you know, they just want these instant cures. And it's like the people who have really stood, stood the test of time, you know, players like yourself and, you know, Jordan Spieth's a great example. I mean, how many people were calling for him to leave his coach through his little struggles and now he's back right. winning again. You know, it's like, you just sometimes got to grind it out, man, but it's nobody can live up to like what Tiger Woods did but we all want that. We all want somebody to be this perfect specimen of a golfer. And that's just with the talent pool out there. It's not a real thing at any level of golf. I mean, there's ups and downs and that's what makes it fun. I mean, if, if you went out and played like the same way and played well every day, it would be boring. Yeah. I mean, I agree. And I think I'm really fortunate to have my parents are super, they're like the most supportive people in the world. And it doesn't matter what I, what I shoot and they always continue to push me and support me. And it's kind of been the same way with my coaches. So I think it's really important to surround yourself with people who understand that you're not going to go out there and play really well every day, but it's more about how you handle yourself and that you continue to, to try hard, no matter where you're at petition, because like there's a great podcast with Max Homa talking about how he was missing every single cut, but he was trying his hardest at every, for every single event at, at every shot because he knew when it turned around um, he was going to be prepared because he had been, he had been treating every shot as if he was in contention despite missing the cut by a mile. And I think, uh, yeah, like that tenacity um, is what it takes to, to turn things around. So um, I've got a great group of people around me that kind of push me, um, but also are supportive when things aren't going great. Well, and that's, that's one other aspect I wanted to, talk to you about and some of the I'm really fascinated with everybody is your upbringing and your relationship with your parents and how they work so I'm sure you've seen through your time as junior college player there's some intense we'll use kindly parents yeah I'd say uh, my parents are the opposite of that I think obviously they're competitive and but they and they want to see me do well but they they're like the most supportive um, people and if I when I told them I wanted to play professionals professional baseball for example um they would they'd tell me that i could do it and they'd kind of help me uh do whatever i needed to do to, to get there and then that kind of transitioned to playing professional golf and i mean i i was definitely a late bloomer i was not very good at all in high school but they they always supported me and they made it a priority um they did pretty much everything they could to help me get to this point so i appreciate them so much and uh yeah i think it just doesn't help uh to have that extra level of 
pressure from your parents uh, to do well. Um, if anything, um, I think I've had a lot of success because even if I went out there and played bad and acted poorly, they, they would say like, Hey, we're proud of you. Just keep, keep being yourself. And I think that combination of having with having coaches that are tougher on you uh, is really important, which Lewis was, he's, I think notorious for being very tough on his students. Mm-hmm. And then coach Zed, my, my high school coach, Paul Harris, and then my all were, where I'd say really, really tough on me and, and you need to act the right way to, to earn the opportunity to compete. So I think that the combination of, of that worked really, really well for me. Yeah. I mean, and I think it, I think it needs to be, there's a, there's a fine line between, you know, how much you push, how hard you be, but like still being supportive. I think yeah. I've had, I've had, I just, I've had some horror stories of, I mean, kids who would from as little as being grounded. So I had one kid told me that she was actually kicked out of the house because she didn't play well. I mean, hard stories to listen to, man, but, but uh, there's yeah. that other side where it's like, I've seen parents just like, eh, whatever. And yeah. then the kids just like, I you mean, know, I'm gonna that, go, crazy. Yeah. what was that? For sure. And I think, uh, I think, uh, I, I, I've heard some of those horror stories and to be able to overcome that and then still play golf, um, it'd, it'd be a hard thing to do. It's easy to get burned out if, if you're, if you don't play well and you, and you are kicked out of the house, you know, it's, it's like, you're not going to play well every day, even the best players in the world. Um, so yeah, I think that support and then also the focus on treating people the, the right way, uh, as like, because that's something that you can control treating people the right way. And, um, so I think, uh, I was lucky, but I've also heard some crazy stories, but these kids are, they still go and, and play and at, compete at a high level, despite all that pressure, which is truly amazing. Yeah. So last thing, man. So you get in these PJ tournaments, um, you know, what's your, what's your mindset or how do you mentally prepare for these things? I think, uh, I think there's definitely a little bit of extra pressure. I mean, you know, that people are watching and this is something you've, you've dreamed about uh, mm-hmm. your whole life playing these PJ tour events. And uh, I think it's about accepting it's taking it all in, but then also when you put your head down, you're still hitting the same seven iron, you're still hitting the same six footer. I mean, golf doesn't really change. It's almost like anticlimactic um, because at first when you show up, you see the grandstands and the fans and all that, but you put your head down and you're hitting the same shots. And I think uh, there's a lot to be learned from that. It doesn't really matter what tournament you're playing in or whether you're practicing or playing, it's all, it's all the same. So um, I think that was a, a big learning curve. And then also just figuring out, uh, what makes you play your best. And for some people, it's like Gary Woodland talks about keeping his chest back. He never lets his eyes get below the horizon. Like he likes to look out and show that, that confidence for me, it's the exact opposite. It's about um, coach Edger just says, put the blinders on like, like horses do when they're running the Kentucky Derby. It's uh, keep my head down, focusing on the next step in front of me. And, and, and I know that if I can just kind of keep that focus, um, and keep that competitive edge. That's what does, that's what works the best for me. But I think it's about finding what's best for you. And, and it can be completely different than um, the guy standing next to you. So uh, I think uh, that being said, it's also, you need to appreciate what, what you're doing. Like for me playing on the PGA tours, it was a dream of mine kind of forever. And to be able to do that, it's just so cool. 
Well, it's, it's important what you said. And again, it goes back to what I was telling you kind of what I do with mental golf type and essentially personalities is, is understanding who you are and how you're wired. Um, and that's important again to do, you know, so again, you could hear Gary Woodland say, I keep my eyes up. You try to do that. That might harm you. You know, I so did that. <laughs> you did that. Yeah. I did that exact thing in a corn fairy event last year. And the entire time I was just staring off in the distance, looking at how cool the grandstands were and stuff. And then I was like, what am I doing? It's the opposite of what makes me play well. But uh, yeah. Well, and it's, it's interesting too, like how that factors in. So, you know, for example, um, and this isn't about, you know, going down the spring pole, but you know, 75% of the population or so is not wired to be like target focused, you know, like we hear in, you know, a lot of the books and stuff like react to the target or keep your eyes up to the target type thing. So a mass population is not wired to do that. And, you know, I've shown a lot of people that exercise like Steven Yeager, even for example, um, had him out for a few days and he was talking about how he's trying to do that. And he was missing cut, cut, cut. And I just, I showed him, I'm like, dude, go look at the target, try to hit one. He like bladed it. And I was like, all right, don't even look at the target. Just pick an intermediate spot and, you know, focus on basically your movement yeah. working out with your coach. And he's striped and he's like, what the like hell, like one swing it's wild. But so again, like you said, just following that trap of, again, we call it player envy. It's like, what is somebody else doing? I need to do what they're doing. Cause it's Gary Woodland. He's successful. Um, but it's wild. Like how quickly, when you do something against how you're wired, like that changes, like you said, all of a sudden I started looking at the grandstands and it wasn't good. A hundred percent. And it's also just ever changing too. I'm, it's ever changing. You need to just kind of continue to remind yourself of the things that, 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 that you do well, like even these last couple of weeks, there's been a couple of really important things that I've kind of always focused on that you kind of forget. And then you're never going to be perfect. You have to just kind of continue to evolve and try to make the changes as quickly as possible. So what are those things real quick? Yeah. So like for me in my golf swing, my tendency is not to turn enough. Um, so pretty much what I, the only thing swing thought I, I think about is just making a smooth turn. Uh, and I was playing in Mexico, uh, two weeks ago, I Monday qualified in there. And for some reason I was just not making a good turn. I wasn't thinking about it at all. And for me that the shot I hit is kind of like a weak cut or a pull, uh, when I'm doing that. And then I was like seven holes into the round. I'm like, what am I doing? And I, I started thinking about making a good turn. I started hitting it great. And, uh, I think it's important to, to not be too hard on yourself like that. That just happens. Um, and you just have to be able to make the adjustment as quickly as possible. Um, and then another thing with putting is holding my finish. Um, so as long as I hold my finish, I'd normally put a good roll on it. Putting has always been a strength of mine. And I looked at my, after the first day, I looked at in the Byron Nelson last week, I looked at my stroke on video and I was kind of just cutting off the finish a little bit. Uh, and when I do that, my speed's not quite as good. And again, I'm like thinking in my head, like, Patrick, this is the only thing that you need to think about to, to do this well. Um, but that's just kind of part of the, part of the challenge is, is, it's just continuing to do those things well. Um, and like you said, be yourself. And, and I mean, for me, I just started writing those things down and, and made those, um, made the adjustment. So, uh, it's not always going to be perfect. And I think what makes the best players the best is that 
when they get a little bit off, they can get themselves right back to where they need to be quicker than everybody else. Um, so that's definitely a, a big challenge, though. I mean, on the PGA Tour, you can go play well uh, for 30 holes and a couple, you make a couple too many bogeys, uh, you might miss the cut. So like this last week at the Byron Nelson, I played some great golf and I, and I missed the cut. And I think it's about remaining positive and, and seeing the progress, because if I keep playing that way, I know that I will have some success soon, hopefully. Yeah, man. Well, you're doing great so far. And I'm guessing like your short game is probably pretty good, right? My short game and putting is definitely like the strength I'd say. Well, and I, I mean, I guess that because if you're little, I mean, almost every little person has to come up with a good short game if you don't hit it very far. So that's for my sure. guess is you had to have a pretty rad short game, but, you know, sustaining that through the through the time. So, again, I go back to that. You know, you could be like, well, I just don't hit it far enough. Put all your attention on that and then your short game could go to crap. Yep. Without a doubt. And that's like focusing on on what makes you good. Um me, I'm not going to be like Dustin Johnson. I'm never going to go hit it like 350 down the fairway all day long. Um, for, for me, what's going to make me good is having the best short game out there and making a ton of putts. So I think especially as you kind of lead into a tournament, focusing on what you're really good at um, gets you in the proper headspace. So, and, and it just takes a little bit of pressure off. Like I, I don't think I need to hit every single green out there to play a bogey-free round. I know that I can put myself in some spots off and, and get up and down so uh, i think focusing on those on those things that you do really want a good heads yeah so all right last question um being out on the tour seeing that level seeing the stars or whatever like how important is putting uh hugely without a doubt the most important and even the like bad putters you hear some of the commentators talk about bad putters like that doesn't really exist on the PGA tour, like you see guys putt with perfect speed, um, all the, the birdie putts that they should make go in. I mean, you hear a lot about like Rory McIlroy not being the best putter. I mean, he's an awesome putter. And I think the time spent on the putting green too, from these professionals is like another thing that I like the highest level guys that I was shocked by. I remember just a short story. I was playing in Wichita and I made the cut. And uh, Adam Svensson, who had already locked his PJ Tour card up, um, missed the cut that week. And I showed up Saturday uh, for my tee time at, like, noon. He was already there putting. I finished my round, and he was putting. Sunday, I showed up, uh, and he was putting. And then I finished my round, and he was putting. And there was an off week after. So everybody else went home, and he was there putting for the next two days. And I think at every level, the best players just – practice a little bit harder and uh, I was definitely that made a big impact on me and I think if you really want to be good at something you just got to work at it so and he's had a really good start to his PGA Tour season so uh, there's a reason for it yeah well awesome man well we're wishing you the best of luck this week I know you got your corn fairy event and then hopefully get more of those PGA tournaments and just keep thriving dude I appreciate it thanks so much for having me on yeah no I appreciate it 
hey thank you so much for listening to the end of this episode i hope you got some incredibly good stuff out of this it'd be awesome if you really find value in this podcast you drop us a five-star review uh leave a comment it really helps continue to grow helps us get great guests on the show which essentially is going to bring you some of the best information that is the journey of behind the swing is to get the absolute best out of these people players coaches fitness people you know whoever we can find that's going to give you great information to help you grow in your golf game so again thank you for following us we'll see you in that next episode